0: Now, your host, Walt Disney. Hobbies are another fertile field for cartoon ideas. Millions of people enjoy various hobbies, and among the largest of these groups are the model railroad enthusiasts. In the United States alone, there are about six million people who build and operate these scale model railroads. And here at the studio, there's several of us who haven't escaped the bug. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 299, which is pretty hard to believe. But it's also another storytelling episode where we are going to be talking about the Disneyland Railroad.
1: Before we get started, we want to mention a couple of things. Catherine and I were guests on... Our friends Jackie and Sean's podcast, Monoreal Radio, they've been guests here a couple times. We joined them for their 150th episode to talk about one of our favorite movies of all time, Tarzan. So we broke it down, we talked about the characters, we debated some things, and we had so much fun. We laughed probably more in an hour and a half period than we have in a long time. So we would love for you to go check it out. We'll put the link to that episode down in our show notes or search for Monoreal Radio on your favorite podcast app, and you'll find it, episode number 150.
0: Yeah, that was a good time. But also, before we get started, I do want to mention our travel agent sponsor, our friend Hannah Little at littlebitofdisney.com. You can reach out to her for any of your travel planning needs, whether you know a lot or just a little about a trip that you are hoping to plan.
1: Just a little. You get it? Punny?
0: <laughs> it's a good pun. She can help you out in any and every way possible. She can help you find good rates for your hotels. She can help you book dining reservations and even give you a customized itinerary just so that you make the most out of your time at whatever theme park it is that you're visiting. So if you're interested in working with Hannah, you should check her out either at littlebitofdisney.com or that link can also be found in our show notes.
1: I thought of a good metaphor recently. We, Probably all of you knew this, but we just found out like last week that Joffrey's Coffee and Tea in the Disney Parks gives an annual pass discount. And not just an annual pass discount, a 20% discount. Can you imagine how much money we have left on the table? Oh, just over this past year, but probably even before that that we never even knew about this discount. And I'm thinking Same thing applies. If you're going to get a Disney resort reservation, you have Hannah on your side. She keeps checking those rates, making sure that if a new deal comes out, you don't miss it. You don't leave money on the table. She rebooks it for you and makes sure that she saves you that money.
0: So it's a win-win. You have to do it.
1: And also don't forget the 20% discount at Joffrey's.
0: Yeah, I mean, that truly is a game changer. It saves us at least $5 each time now.
1: Which I'm no mathematician. But I don't know. Like, how are we saving that much? I, I, It's still, it it blows my mind.
0: Maybe they press like a special, an extra special button. But it went from $15 to $10.
1: Which, again, I'm no math wizard, but that's not 20%. Yeah,
0: but, is that like 30%? <laughs> that's, what <I'm> <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
1: That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense, but it happens every time. So, just tell them you're an annual pass holder, or maybe they give a DVC discount. Point is, ask at Joffrey's. Always ask. Starbucks does not in Disney World, but they do it universal. Anywhere we're getting off track with coffee. Today's episode is about the Disneyland Railroad, and we're going to try to give a pretty, you know, the high points in the history of how the Disneyland Railroad came to be from our perspective but there are so many different side stories and little quirks and bumps in the road along the way in this story that we can't cover everything today. We're already going to struggle to keep this within an hour, I think. So this is probably a topic that we're going to continue to come back to as we you know, further explore these little side stories or further explore how this developed over time. The other thing that I found challenging about putting this episode together was it's almost like I'm such an advocate for the railroad, because I'm almost willing to say, now, historically, when people ask, what's your favorite attraction? I've always said Haunted Mansion. Now, I think I might say the railroad, but...
0: And it's not just because of this episode? I don't know. See, that's
1: what I'm trying to figure out. like Is it recency bias, or is this truly... So I almost find myself, when I'm You know, researching and typing those like, how can I convince other people that the railroad is like the bee's knees? This is everything.
0: So this is your opportunity here and today. You have to convince everybody.
1: I was just explaining that I put a lot of pressure on myself and now you just put more pressure on me.
0: Oh, or you can just look at it as a great opportunity. This (laughs) is your opportunity to pitch the railroad to everyone who overlooks it and skips it.
1: I feel like you just said the same thing two different ways. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. How did you feel putting this together?
0: I think I was looking forward to it just knowing that we are going to Disneyland so soon and we are going to have the opportunity to ride the train and experience a train, which we haven't done in so long. I do think, to me, where I get a little more attached to the train is just that my grandfather was also a train enthusiast. I remember as a kid, his whole basement was full of like model trains and little cities. And of course, as a kid, I don't know what I thought, if it was normal, if it was cool, or I wasn't that interested. Maybe he wishes he had a grandson who would have been more interested in his trains. But now looking at it, it is interesting to see that that kind of age group, I don't know, maybe still today, there was just a huge train enthusiast like category, you know, like everyone obviously has all of their different interests, but trains really were a big thing for such a long time as far as being a hobby.
1: Well, and just to finish that thought, and I know this is in your head as well, is then your grandfather went and worked for Walt Disney World in the transportation department. So it's kind of like a full circle thing almost.
0: Which is just really cool. So I am interested in kind of putting those pieces together. And I think something that we typically don't think about either is just that there are so many different representations of trains in different theme parks, in hotels, in restaurants. You know, we've even talked about it in Disney Springs. And I think that it's something that they are intentionally injecting into all aspects of Disney because it was something that Walt was very passionate about.
1: So let's start with the key facts. The Disneyland Railroad specifically was an opening day attraction on July 17th, 1955. We only missed it by like five days of getting it right on the nose for opening day of Disneyland. The total cost for this... Whole production was around $240,000 to build the railway, and then each of the locomotives, and they started with four, were $40,000 each. So think back to the 1950s time period. That is very, very expensive.
0: Well, and I think part of that is that they did not just want trains that were like gimmicky or, you know, Hand me downs. Yeah i I was well, almost I, mean, like, I was almost gonna say pretend. You know they didn't want just something for show, but they wanted the real deal. These are real locomotives that they restored for the most part because they wanted the real deal.
1: One little piece, and we don't want to get caught up in the terminology too much here, but just for future reference, as we're talking through a lot of this, locomotives refers to the actual engine or the actual power behind it. And then the train is everything that's being pulled behind or the locomotive plus everything that's pulled behind. Is that your understanding of it as well?
0: Yeah, so when I picture the locomotive in my head, it's almost like the first car, the first part of the train. (laughs)
1: Um, And something that you kind of alluded to is that rail transport can be found in every single Disney park around the world. So besides the typical Magic Kingdom style Grand Circle transportation, which we're talking about today with Disneyland Railroad, there's so many other rail systems that are incorporated into the Disney parks. Just some of our favorites to mention the Casey Jr. Circus Train in Disneyland. That is a gasoline powered internal combustion locomotive. The monorail systems fall into the same category as a type of rail transport. The Disneyland monorail system was the first operational monorail system in the United States. Walt Disney World used to have the Fort Wilderness Railroad from 1974 to 1980, which I never even made this connection. You guys might remember we talked about it last fall that we did the Segway tour at Fort Wilderness. And part of that was going over some railroad tracks and i just i don't know why i didn't think about that there actually used to be a train going through fort wilderness
0: i just don't think that was something that i had ever known or heard of so this is news to me
1: the only train that we have been on uh recently is the wildlife express train in disney's animal kingdom that is a diesel internal combustion train connecting africa to rafiki's planet watch Tokyo Disney's Resort has the Disney Resort Line monorail system, Western River Railroad, and the Disney Sea Electric Railway. So I want to pause right here. Western River Railroad, what does that remind you of?
0: The Western River expansion. Yeah. So I that's, would hope so.
1: Yeah. So that's a project that Mark Davis worked on for the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World that never came to fruition, got replaced by Big Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain. But I like that they adopted that and applied it to Tokyo.
0: And if you want to see part of that in Walt Disney World, you can see the buffalo at the um, the land.
1: Living with the land.
0: Living with the land.
1: And then the Disney Sea electric railway, I think, is one of those things that whenever we do go to Disney Sea someday, that is like one of the most exciting things that I'm here for because it's like the cable car system almost, with the electric line running above, and that's how it gets its power to move forward.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Almost like San Francisco, what they have there kind of idea? Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, Disneyland Paris has a Grand Circle-style train for Disneyland Paris uh, Park, and then the only one that is left out is Shanghai. So they do have a commuter train that technically comes on property, and it's really just like a public transportation system. It connects people from the city to bring them to Disneyland, but there is not a Grand Circle Railroad in Shanghai because they didn't think that it matched the interest of the people of Shanghai. How do you feel about that?
0: I mean, it's honestly kind of lame. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They obviously do a lot of research as far as what they want it to look like, what people will be interested in. We even talked about how, was it at Shanghai where they didn't include a Pirates of the Caribbean? Or was that Hong Kong? Hong Kong. Okay. Well, that's just another example where they do their research to culturally make sure that whatever they put in this park is going to be popular so it's kind of unfortunate, but you know, I guess at the end of the day, it was a business decision. It just makes
1: me wonder in 20 years, will they still agree with that decision? Because you saw that a lot with Euro Disney, now Disneyland Paris, where they tried so hard to appease the French people and the Parisians. And that's not really who ended up going there. And those who did weren't looking for a European version of Disneyland. They were looking for the American version, just close to home to them. They wanted to eat the hot dogs and the hamburgers and you know all the things that America is famous for. I guess
0: <laughs> way and, to set that bar high, Brendan. <laughs> I know I couldn't think
1: of anything better. But I'm just curious: Will the people of Shanghai and the and the people who are paying money to go to that park? you know, feel like they're being, like something is missing. Because I would imagine, like us, one of the first things you think about when you think about Disneyland or Magic Kingdom is the train. And if you don't have that, are you really getting the full experience?
0: Even if that's not maybe the first thing that you think of, I do think it's the first thing that you picture or the first thing that you see. I mean, if you think about it, before you even see the castle, whatever castle it might be that you are looking at, you. You see the train station first. So I would be interested, even just from like a layout perspective, what that's like because, well, I'm going to save my last comment for later. But we're going to come back to that as far as why else the train might be important.
1: So let's start our discussion with Walt and trains. And you actually have to start this back into Walt and Hobbies. And in that clip that we played at the very beginning of this, I think that's a good launching point is that Walt always saw the importance of having an escape, a a place that you could go to or you could leave the world behind, leave the work and the stress and everything behind and really devote yourself into something. But trains were not his first love or his first hobby that he jumped into I was going to say like feet first, but like whole body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he dove into his love for trains.
1: So so this time period that we're talking about to start this off is maybe the late 20s, but more so like the 30s and 40s. The business had done pretty well after Snow White, but then Pinocchio really didn't do well. Fantasia really didn't do well. The war was picking up in Europe, and so the business was suffering. Quite a bit. And they weren't really getting the traction that they had looked forward to. And he had sunk a ton of money into this brand new production facility.
0: Well, and something else that we actually learned recently from watching some of the Disney Plus documentaries is there were actually strikes going on, too. So I feel like things are just being thrown at him from all sides, financially, um, at home, with his family. And then, you know, these people that he had worked so hard to create like a great work environment for, he's starting to realize that they maybe are not that happy. Some of them at least.
1: So at home, something that you talked about, Diane, Walt and Lillian's oldest daughter, was born in 1933. But after that, Walt and Lillian wanted to continue to expand their family. And Lillian actually suffered a couple of miscarriages. Now the number of miscarriages... I don't want to say definitively because I've read a couple of different things, but it's, there was more than one, it seems. And so if you compound that with what's going on at work, the war, the, you know, Walt was a huge Patriot. So the war would have been taxing on him as well. And then all of this stuff at home with him and Lillian trying to grow their family, he was in a not so great place at this time. And so we went to his family, Dr. And basically he said, you need some sort of outlet and it needs to be some sort of exercise. You got to get out and you got to start doing something. And so he picked up somehow through mutual friends and just what was popular at the time, he had actually picked up the sport of polo. So There are a couple things at work here. He was friends with an actor named Will Rogers who was the highest paid actor at the time and Will Rogers was a polo enthusiast. And so it's believed that Will is the one who said, Walt, you need to come out and play with us at the Beverly Hills Polo Club. And it's believed that really the way that Walt took that information was, this is a double whammy. I get to do the exercise like, like the doctor and Lillian and Roy are telling me that I have to do and I get to rub elbows with the Hollywood elite who are all playing polo here because it's people like Bing Crosby and Will Rogers and all these other executives. And at this point, Walt was basically owned by the bank. He owed everybody money because the war was not producing you know, the money back on Pinocchio and Fantasia. So he picked up polo. And he just loved it. He just like dove fully into it, playing all the time. He was a tenacious competitor. Will Rogers even commented on how he made so many like noises and like grunts while he was playing that Will started calling him Mickey Mouse while he was on the field because he sounded like (laughs) a cartoon out there taking it so seriously. And he played that. For quite some time, from basically the beginning of the 30s into the late 30s. And you can see that even bleed into his professional life when he released the short film of Mickey's Polo Team in 1936. Just a side note about Mickey's Polo Team. It is just a short film. Walt actually originally intended it for be a full-length feature, and it was going to feature Will Rogers, the same guy who got him into the sport and that he played with all the time. But Rogers actually passed away unexpectedly before they were able to complete it, and it got derailed. And so they still had done enough work that they decided to push forward with a short film, but not do it as a feature-length film.
0: Something that stands out to me that I just love, because again, I think it just says so much about Walt, is that whenever he starts something or becomes involved with something he didn't just do it halfway. Like he didn't just take a few lessons. He didn't just like go out and socialize with some people, which I'm sure was also very good for him in a lot of ways. But like you said, he really jumped into it. He's taking lessons. He's trying to get other people involved. Like he is truly making this a hobby. And I feel like that is pretty rare, you know, for anyone to do. Whenever you start something, it's hard to just go full into it. But I think that's just kind of who Walt was. Like if he was going to do something, he was going to do something. Yeah,
1: he even convinced Roy to go out there with him sometimes. And he used to drag a lot of the animators out there with him after work and say, you're going to play polo with me. And I don't think really anybody liked it as much as he did.
0: Well, I was going to say, let's just set this up a little bit. Polo, now I'm not an expert by any means, but you're on a horse with a mallet Chasing a ball. Correct. There's a lot going on. And I would like to think that these animators and other friends were probably not thrilled to be there. But it's one of those things where it's like, how do you say no? Like, okay, sure. Do I get dinner out of this kind of thing? Because it's not just a little hobby. I feel like that would be a full-fledged workout.
1: I mean, yeah. it's uh, The other part that goes with it that's kind of funny to think about now is that it was not just the Beverly Hills Polo Club. It was actually the Beverly Hills Polo Club and lounge. So Walt would go play his matches, but then you get to rub elbows even more drinking scotch, smoking cigars, smoking cigarettes in the lounge afterwards. And it said he liked to spend a lot of time there.
0: I'm sure that was great. For everyone involved. (laughs) I'm
1: sure Lillian, really, that's what she meant when she said you need a hobby.
0: Yeah, that's what she wanted. So,
1: like we said, Walt just jumped fully into this. This is something that's a little bit controversial, I feel like. At one point, he had agreed to play for a professional polo team out of South America called the Argentines. However, I don't think he actually ever played a game for them because he quit before then.
0: It's a little fuzzy, basically. We read it, and we thought it was a cool fact, but then we couldn't find this anywhere else, so you can kind of take it or leave it. But there's the potential that he could have been a pro polo player.
1: In South America.
0: (laughs) So, like, what the heck? (laughs)
1: Um, And the reason why he had to quit is because he actually sustained a pretty serious injury. So he was playing in a match the polo ball struck him and he was knocked off his horse and he fell directly on his back and he fractured four vertebrae at the time and if you compound that with the fact that Walt had actually witnessed two deaths on the polo field match pitch what do you call it we'll go with field on the polo field 1 in 1935 and 1 in 1936 Both were instances very similar to his where the player was knocked off their horse and they were trampled to death. So it just kind of became one of those things that once he got injured, plus he had seen the two deaths, that's when the doctor and Lillian, probably Roy, probably every one of the animators (laughs) as well, said, enough is enough. You can't play this anymore. And he had to hang it up.
0: Which... Is wild to me. I did not know that polo was such a violent or dangerous sport. I mean, I kind of, it makes sense with everything that's going on. There's a lot at play and horses are very particular creatures, but I feel like you never hear about that when people play polo. I would like
1: to understand what you mean by horses are very particular creatures.
0: You you don't think so? Horses get spooked easily. They don't like loud noises or certain things. I know lots of friends who have been kicked or, you know, bucked off of horses. You don't have any, like, horse stories. Maybe it's a girl thing because girls like horses. But, yeah, I would stay far away from horses. Oh. Me, me okay. I, I is that like your horses. like
1: Kansas growing up like bleeding through, or is this like a Tennessee thing? No, or?
0: this was Tennessee. Oh, I have I could list off lots of friends, which would mean absolutely nothing to any of our listeners who have like horse horror stories.
1: Okay, I just wanted to understand what you meant by horses are particular.
0: You thought I just made that up? <laughs> is like a random no I didn't quality think, of horses? No, I didn't think you made it up. I just
1: wanted to know the background information that led to this conclusion. But to get this train, but um, bump back on tracks, he had this void. He had devoted so much of his spare time and his training. He even set up at the studio like a uh, fence and like a, a place where they could practice polo. So they mounted a fake horse, <laughs> had a fence. And basically they'd put the ball on a little tee down on their right or left side and they would swing and hit with their mallets to practice polo at the studio.
0: That's incredible.
1: So he had this void and he needed something to do that was maybe a little less intense and that's where trains come in. And I think it's important to note is that the reason – Walt latched on to train so much is really just pure nostalgia. So he was going to work, and people knew that he was, you know, obviously they probably knew that he had sustained this injury. And there's two people in particular who worked for the company at this time. One is Ollie Johnston. The other is Ward Kimball. They were both train enthusiasts. Ollie Johnston actually... He both so both Ward and Ollie had like the riding miniature trains, like we're going to talk about the Carrollwood Pacific Railroad in just a few moments. But both of them had their own versions in their backyard. And just to finish the thought on Ollie, he actually upgraded to a full size train in his backyard.
0: Yeah, talk about an enthusiast that is commitment.
1: He uh you can learn more about it if you want to watch the Frank and Ollie documentary on Disney Plus. It's not our favorite documentary, but that part in particular is pretty cool to see I'm, this train.
0: Yeah, to follow up on that. It's a good documentary, mostly because I think it's cute that it follows just like the friendship of Frank and Ollie and kind of how their experiences overlapped and led to this rich history with Disney. But no, it wasn't our favorite.
1: But to link it back to his childhood, so Walt's second cousin, it was his dad's first cousin, was a train engineer. And he would come over and tell the family about his, you know, adventures, being a train engineer and traveling across the country. And Walt was so intrigued by that that he had actually wanted to be a train engineer as a child. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Walt wanted to be a train engineer. What did you want to be, Catherine?
0: A dolphin trainer.
1: Oh, actually, you could still do that.
0: I could. Yeah. It was because we went to um, SeaWorld and I don't remember
1: Discovery Cove.
0: That's the one. And I just thought, what a job. Just play with dolphins all day.
1: Hmm. You can still do that. I don't think I can be a professional baseball player anymore.
0: I, I don't really know what the demand for dolphin trainers is.
1: And then even when he became of working age, Walt worked with trains. So he was a news butcher. Now, this was the first time I'd ever heard this term, but it was basically a newsboy that worked on a train. And so in addition to selling newspapers, he would sell candy and cigars and cigarettes and other things that the train passengers might need. But most importantly, it was newspapers. So he had this connection to it in addition to some family connections outside of his uncle, right?
0: Yes, his father actually worked as part of like a track installation crew for the Union Pacific Railroad. So, you know, kind of his second cousin, I guess. I want to say uncle, but it wasn't his uncle. Second cousin, his dad, and then him all had this background relating to trains. And, of course, there are other stories, you know, about how he traveled on a train from Missouri to Los Angeles and all these other things that, again, might have kind of enhanced that nostalgia.
1: So all of this is just to say that when Ollie Johnston and Ward Kimball kind of talked about this at work, Walt latched onto it super quickly. And just like we saw with Polo, he jumped in all the way.
0: So really, as we start to kind of dive into this love of trains, it started in 1947. That's when Walt decided to buy his first train. It was an electric train. And basically, he knew as soon as he got this train, again, that the two people who would be the most interested and excited about it would be Ward Kimball and Ollie Johnson. So he brought it to the studio. And you know, I think probably between the three of them and just the conversations that he had, Um, He learned about these trains in their backyards. And because it's Walt, he thought, I have to have one. Like, that is amazing. I I have to do the same thing. And that's exactly what he set out to do.
1: It's so funny that, you know, as we go through all of these different stories, and if you think back to you, you hear Mark Davis talk about the interactions between he and Walt. And Walt really wasn't too expressive a lot of times. But it's it's funny that you get these little glimpses like here, you almost see like Walt jumping up and down, like he's so excited. He he can't contain it. He's he's an enthusiast about things that he loves.
0: And I do think even though he probably didn't give a lot of reaction, you know, when they were working on attractions or different things like that, I do think that, like you said, he was very enthusiastic. He was probably just slow to let that on because If you think about it, if you're extremely excited about the first thing that someone shows you, then they're not really going to push forward and pursue something better, you know? So you kind of have to hold it back a little bit. And I feel like he probably was always jumping up and down because let's be real, the things that they did and the projects that they worked on were always incredible, but he's very good, I feel like, at controlling his emotions. So if we think about the evolution of everything, it wasn't until about three years later in 1950 when he built his Carrollwood Pacific Railroad. So Walt bought some land. He had five acres, and that's where he decided he was going to build his house. And part of his grand plans were that he wanted to build this one-eighth scale model railroad in Holmby Hills, California and he named it the Carrollwood Pacific Railroad after the street where he lived which was Carrollwood Drive
1: Seems appropriate
0: It's it's pretty clever I Is think Is it though? It's just his
1: street name
0: I know but I feel like it's like sentimental like he's building a house he's building a railroad I think it's kind of sweet We're going to get to more names here in a second But the train was actually so impressive that it could hold 12 adults at one time, and while being the entertainer that he was, he would invite people over to ride it and check it out and basically show it off to everybody that he knew
1: Oh to be invited to one of those parties
0: oh my gosh can you imagine that would be such a thrill. is it like
1: what do you is it like a potluck? is it the Disney family is hosting and providing all the food? How do you imagine that goes
0: um Maybe a solid potluck. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Do you think, I feel like Walt wouldn't have much time for cooking. Maybe Lillian did.
1: He had a lot of time for eating. That's true. Liked eating and
0: drinking coffee. Who doesn't? Let's be honest. The first run of the Carrollwood Pacific Railroad took place on May 7th in 1950. And when we think about this track, I feel like a lot of things might come to mind like, oh, it's just like a little circle in his backyard or something. No, no, no. This was 2,615 feet of track. It included a 46-long trestle and a 90-foot-long tunnel that went kind of underneath part of his backyard, like under a flower bed, to conceal part of the train from Lillian. Because if you can imagine she wasn't quite thrilled about having a train running through her five acres of land.
1: Well, and there's a interview of him out there talking about the Carolwood Pacific Railroad, and he talked about that was when he first pitched this idea to Lillian. He knew that he was going to have to scrap the original plans for this flower bed. So I guess this was his compromise of allowing it to stay.
0: We are going to get to some of that compromise because he was a good husband. He tried to make... You know, the best of both worlds. Cue Miley Cyrus. I guess Hannah Montana.
1: Yeah, can we not?
0: I feel it was fitting. Um, he also had a barn that he built where he was able to monitor and kind of control the switches on the track. It also served as a workshop. And then this kind of became his new hangout. So this is where Walt and his friends, probably uh, Ollie and Ward. Ward. How, I could think of his last name. All in word, they probably spent a lot of time there together.
1: Unless they were just working on their own backyard train sets.
0: I like to imagine that it was kind of like friends who would visit each other's houses, like maybe they would take turns, you know, like let each other take part in the hosting. I like to think so. So when you think about this, I mentioned it wasn't just in his backyard. It basically surrounded his entire house. And if you look online and if you can find like the blueprints for what this track looked like, it is quite impressive because it's almost like what you would see in a Walt Disney World or Disneyland where he had his house, the garage, and the pool were all inside this massive track that he had built. It surrounded it, almost like a moat.
1: I wonder where that house is. today. Like, is it still standing? Did it get demolished? wonder what where it is. We'll get there. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't know you had that information.
0: Oh, we'll get I have all sorts of information. So again, if we think about Lillian Disney, she wasn't thrilled. So what Walt did, not only did he keep that flower bed that she wanted, but he actually had Jack and Bill Evans who were the hol- horticulturists. That's a big word.
1: Nicely done.
0: But they were the two who worked on the landscaping of the Jungle Cruise. He had them come to his house and do the landscaping to kind of conceal part of the train. They built that tunnel so that basically she wouldn't just have to look out her window and stare at this train. There was a lot of nice scenery surrounding everything.
1: I would love to hear from Protective. Like, Did this do anything for her or is it still annoying?
0: I mean, I feel like as a wife... She was maybe just happy that he wasn't playing polo, or maybe she was just trying to support his hobby. I don't know. I would like, hopefully she had like an annoying hobby of her own. Not that Walt's hobby is annoying, but, you know, you got to be supportive where you can. Yeah. So the other thing that Walt did was he named the locomotive the Lily Bell in her honor. And again, we see how this translates into the parks, because in Disneyland, the Grand Canyon Observation Caboose, which operates on the Disneyland Railroad, is named the Lily Bell.
1: Which that's like, that's a dream, to be able to sit on the Lily Bell.
0: That would be pretty. Does it still run?
1: Uh, So I don't think they put it on the tracks too often anymore, so... I've read a couple of things. They used to give out tickets. If you went to guest services first thing in the morning to City Hall, then you might be lucky enough to get a ticket. Now I think it's more of like a magical moments type thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they will allow you to go sit on the lily bell. But,
0: uh, so we need to dress as train enthusiasts and just kind of like hang around guest relations. Correct. That's what I'm hearing. But I
1: don't think they actually put it on the train anymore. I think it just sits stationary.
0: To kind of protect it, preserve it, probably. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So let's circle back to your question. What happened? So basically when this Holmby Hills home was sold, that's a mouthful, the new owners did actually want to preserve the house, but they discovered some structural issues, asbestos, because we know old homes and schools had that problem, it basically had to be demolished and they had to build a new home.
1: Probably uh, Walt probably smoked inside, so there's probably smoke in the walls and all kinds of stuff.
0: I'm Yeah, I'm sure there were just lots of problems with it being an old home. So they had to demolish the actual home that they lived in. But Walt's daughter, Diane, did recognize the importance of the barn that he had built, so where him and his friends would have hung out. Um, And, of course, the train and everything like that. So she began the process of saving everything before it was demolished. And there's a couple places now where you can actually see, you know, these things that we're talking about. So for one, Walt's Barn was preserved, and it's in Los Angeles at the Griffith Park. Um, It's there as a loan, basically. So Griffith Park doesn't own it. But you can only actually see it on the third Sunday of every month. That's when it's open. So if you want to go see it, you got to do a lot of planning. If you do plan to go see it, inside the barn is a one scale of the Wood train, which is the same size that he had at his house, but it is not the original train.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying it was a one scale of the one scale. You're just saying it's a It's the replica. same size.
0: Yeah, so I think it's just to show kind of what he had built and what he had in his backyard. So the barn is the original what is inside is not because the actual train can be found in a couple different places.
1: So the one closest to us and the one that we have seen with our own two eyes, there are a couple train cars that are located in the Carewood Pacific room located at the Boulder Ridge Villas at Disney's Wilderness Lodge Resort. So it's a little bit tricky to find because Boulder Ridge is off And it's not connected to the main building of Wilderness Lodge, like the lobby that you would think about. There's a little breezeway that you take to get over there. They have a lovely little lobby there.
0: It is so cute.
1: And then there's a little room off of it where two of these train cars are on display. And there's a little homage to it outside of Boulder Ridge as well where they have a train car with rocks loaded into it, which plays into the theming of Boulder Ridge. And it has 749 on it, which matches the transport car that's found inside in the lobby, the real one.
0: So you can see it here in Florida, but the rest of the train and the Lily Bow locomotive can be seen at the Walt Disney Family Museum, which is in San Francisco.
1: Which we need to go to.
0: I mean, that's a bucket list item for us, for sure.
1: But it does kind of seem like Boulder Ridge is like a random spot to have it, don't you think?
0: It is. And I don't know, do you think it'll always stay there? Or do you think it's one of those things that it's like on loan, like one day they could take it away?
1: Well, that's what I'm curious about is who owns it. Is it the Walt Disney Archives or is it the Walt Disney Family Museum and it's on loan? Because I feel like my answer might be different depending on who the actual owner is. I would assume... It's the family museum, Mm -hmm. but if they have the rest of it, but it's still a weird spot for them to put it. I mean, I love that it's there. And I guess maybe our point is don't wait to go see it. Go see it because you never know when they might take it away. But they named the whole room after it.
0: Yeah, I do think it's there because it fits the theming so well. And, you know, maybe they just wanted to incorporate a little bit of that here in Disney World rather than just keeping it all in California for Disneyland. Um, But yeah, I mean, you just ultimately never know. It is really cool to see. It's kind of hidden, so it's almost like a scavenger hunt. But it's neat.
1: Yeah, I remember the first time I went in there to show it to you, I was like trying to explain it to you, but we were on different pages. And finally, it's like, that, that's what I'm trying to show you.
0: (laughs) It's like, what are we here looking at? Um, And yeah, I mean, go find it.
1: Let's talk about storytelling. If you remember back, storytelling for us in this series, the goal is to make sure that your next ride on the attraction or meal at a restaurant is enhanced because of the new information or new way that you look at things. And I think our discussion today is maybe just a different perspective or a prompt to make you think about the train a little bit differently, which for me enhances the ride. We'll start... With Walt Disney had a quote and he said, I just want it, it being Disneyland, to look like nothing else in the world and it should be surrounded by a train. Now, pause there. It's a wonderful quote. It backs up that we, trains are so vital to this. What do you do in Shanghai? You need a train.
0: And that does kind of support the fact that maybe someone did not do their history research. Sometimes the cultural study is maybe not all there is to it. But I do like that he had this vision from the beginning. Like it's not something that he just kind of added in last minute or something that he just thought, oh, well, I like trains. Other people probably like trains. But this, you know, he had a vision he had his idea for what he wanted Disneyland to be and he always knew he wanted it to be surrounded by a train.
1: So this is where we kind of we're gonna omit some of the stories about the actual construction of the train and, and the evolution of how it grew at Disneyland Park. We will probably come back and tell those stories later on in a future episode. But if you're dying to know more right now, some of my favorite things, look up that they actually had like cattle cars for the first few months that the Disneyland Railroad was open, um, I believe it was Ward Kimball actually said to Walt, like, are you sure you actually want people to ride in cattle cars? (laughs) And Walt said, yes, I want them to feel what it's like to ride in a cattle car. And you can take that any way that you want to, but we often that's a very popular quote when you're in a Disney park is, I feel like cattle being herded. And that's kind of like it happened in real life. Um, And then there's just all kinds of fun stories about how I got started. But we'll tell those at a future date.
0: A different date. Right now, we are just going to set up, kind of like what Brendan said, some of the biggest things you need to know and how it plays into the overall story of Disneyland, Disney World, wherever it is that you are with this train.
1: So truthfully, Walt didn't view this as a very story-rich attraction. From his standpoint, it was meant as a barrier, like we talked about that it surrounds everything. It's a barrier keeping the outside world to you know, separate from Disneyland. But more importantly, he actually just saw it as a means of transportation, a way for guests to get from the front of the park to the back of the park. Um and and that's just how it was. There wasn't too much of a deep and rich story. That changes a little bit whenever they add the primeval world scenes after the Grand Canyon scene, which if you've been on it, it's it's funny. Like it's
0: we laughed out loud because we were like what the heck?
1: We had no idea it was coming because we were just used to the Magic Kingdom
0: where there is no There's no dinosaurs.
1: But there is some importance to this dinosaur theme because they are all from the 1964 New York World's Fair where they were displayed in the Ford Magic Skyway attraction out there. It all comes back to the World's Fair.
0: We do seem to talk about the World's Fair quite often, but I think it's because everything, I mean, so much of the great history that we like to talk about comes from something that stems from... The World's Fair. So I feel like it's fitting to talk about it today.
1: Yeah, and just to put in another like vantage point, it was an opportunity for them to expand their creativity and try things that they maybe wouldn't have otherwise because they were using other people's money to do it.
0: Which is quite smart.
1: So Primeval World, which also now gives me a better appreciation for Primeval World. I didn't realize like how close their names were. I didn't realize Primeval World was what it was actually called.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was like the dinosaur scene.
1: I thought it was like dinosaur diorama. (laughs) But anyway, the way that we have basically wanted to pose this question or pose this idea is that you are probably familiar with or you may have heard in the past about this idea of that Disneyland is, and especially the front of the park, is about going to the movies. And so you scan your tickets, you go in, whenever you go underneath the train station, you have the red concrete, you have the attraction posters on your right and left, basically preparing you for the movies or the experiences that you are about to see. That even expands even further once you start walking down Main Street and you have all of the names up on the windows. That is viewed as kind of, they used to have the credits for movies at the beginning of the movies, and so those are basically the front credits for here is who made this possible as you go into the park, and then once you get past Main Street, that's where the immersion takes place. That's where you are in the movies, and you are in the stories that they have set up and prepared for you, and that is a idea and a story in an emerging level that we have always appreciated. And our idea is that the train actually plays a more vital role in that than you realize. Because first, if you just talk about the setting of it, it's up on the berm, it's raised above, especially in Disneyland, to a certain extent Magic Kingdom, but especially in Disneyland, it's blocking your view of the castle, it's blocking your view of everything, the train station itself is almost like the front curtains before the movie starts, in my opinion.
0: Well, and I think, too, it does really provide that barrier because if you think about what if that train station wasn't there? So whether you're talking about Disney World or Disneyland, if that was not there, as soon as you started to enter the park, you would see the castle, you would see Main Street. You know, it's not going to give you that full separation or even that same feeling of, you know, like the quote says, you're leaving the present and you're entering into, you know, these different lands of past and future, tomorrow. I can't think of the exact quote right now, but, you know, it really does give it that separation. Kind of like what you're saying, like a curtain would do is, you know, okay, once this curtain rises, once you get past this train station, that's where everything kind of starts.
1: And this is where I also buy into the idea that the first thing you need to do whenever you enter the park is you need to ride the train.
0: And it sticks with this idea because if you think about the route that the train takes, if the train completely circles the park, then again, it's almost like the same function as the posters, the attraction posters, where you are getting that preview of kind of what is to come. Even if you think about like the old school, like the VCRs, you know, before you ever got to watch a movie, you had to watch all the previews. It is giving you a glimpse of what is to come. And that's kind of a fun, you know, You get to look at the rides. Oh, look at Splash Mountain. That looks so fun. We're going to have to put that on our to-do list. And it's almost like hyping you up for the day ahead.
1: And I think the other thing that we kind of glossed over is just talking about that hard separation between the burn on the, you know, depending on which way you're going. The burn on this side is Disneyland. The burn on that side is not Disneyland and there's a hard separation. Here is the happiest place on Earth, and here it is not. And I think...
0: (laughs) There's your normal life.
1: And I think you need that. You don't just need a fence, and you don't just need a, you know, whatever, to do the separation. I think that is very symbolic of that we are completely enclosed by train tracks. And inside is what we're here to experience. Everything from the outside can be left behind.
0: And I think, you know, that in particular is very important in Disneyland. I think Walt even took it a step farther in Disney World because we have the Seven Seas Lagoon. And again, you can kind of only access Magic Kingdom through the ferry boat or the monorail, which, you know, practically for us locals, kind of stinks, but it is, again, kind of setting up that same feeling of this is a completely different place. Look how far separated you are from reality.
1: Yeah, and that's a point that if you look in the history of Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World, whenever they started allowing buses to access directly to that side of the lake... People were not happy about it because that was something Walt was very adamant about, that he felt like an improvement on the Disneyland concept would be to have this hard separation. You have to travel. You have to do something to get here and to get to this other world or this other creation that we had done. If You remember back to Disneyland, you used to be able to park right outside the gates, park right where the Esplanade is, park right where Disney's California Adventure is, and you just walk up, you'd scan in, but you still have that hard separation of the train station and the burn and everything. And again, everything inside, happy, everything outside is (laughs) real life.
0: Well, and I do think that is part of the significance of the train. You know, when it goes back to his original statement, it's going to look like nothing else in this world and it has to be surrounded by this train. Like you said, it's not just like a tree line. It's not a cute little fence. It is this train.
1: There are fences, but it's nicer <laughs> to think. <laughs> the of train
0: it. is better, okay?
1: So I guess maybe my question is, do you mind that other parks do not have the train set up the same way that a Disneyland park, I guess we'll say like a Magic Kingdom style park, are we sad that you don't see that replicated in the other styles that they've branched off into?
0: Um, I think you just have to kind of enter into the story in different ways. You know, I think every park is so different with the way that they set everything up. I almost like that. It's just for like this magic kingdom style of park because like you said, it it kind of has that reference back to the movies, and you are experiencing this. It is not just another theme park you know or an amusement park, a state fair, whatever it might be. and I feel like if you think about the other parks, right, because we're talking are you talking about things like Animal Kingdom, yeah. Hollywood Studios? I mean, I feel like they have their own setup, essentially, you know, if you think about Hollywood Studios you have to walk down the old streets of Hollywood. So you are still being put into a specific situation. You know, they are putting you into the story that they want you to experience there. I feel like if you kind of did the same thing at every park, it would almost lose that same story to it. You know, you can only do it so many times yeah, so that it doesn't lose the appeal
1: I see that. I mean and I do think that's what makes these railroads in a magic kingdom style park. The that's why I love them so much because they're so unique, they're so authentically Disney. They have the connection to Walt. They take you to a, a time of the past that you know, I, when I was doing this, I thought, is there any attraction or experience in Walt Disney World that more children don't appreciate until they get older? You know, like, I don't know how you were as a child, but when I, <laughs> I didn't want to ride the train because it's not exciting. There's no drops. There's no characters. You know, it's the train. It's It's nothing to get excited about. But I think it's one of those that I wish it was easier to capture the magic of it and and spread it to people other than just, yeah, sure, it's a great place to sit down for an unlimited amount of time. They don't kick you <laughs> off. You can write it as much as you want. You get great people watching. It's all wonderful, but I'm just, it's one of those, like I wrote it all growing up, and now that we haven't had it for a couple of years in Magic Kingdom, I'm just mad at myself for not appreciating it as much as I should have.
0: I think that's kind of a common thing that we've even just discovered recently. You know, we kind of went through the same thing with Country Bear Jamboree. Um, You know, just recently between the two of us, we've talked about this with even just the different shows, like the fireworks show and how there were times when we would come on vacation and never watch a fireworks show because it's something that you – kind of take for granted or, you know, oh, it's just the train, you know, whatever. And then you start to truly appreciate what the purpose is or, like, what the function of the train is. And it's like, man, what, you know, what are we doing here? Why why do we not have a train right now? So I think it goes kind of in waves. I don't necessarily think that there's anything that Disney World or Disneyland could do to make the train more appealing because I don't want them to add anything. I don't want them to add screens or like an elaborate story. I don't want it to be like a cheesy, you know, Western show kind of thing. Because if you like think
1: Bandits or something.
0: Yeah. Because if you think about it, there's probably tons of things that they could do with the train, you know, it's already established to make it more theatrical or to make it flashy. But I feel like as soon as you do something like that to appeal, To the masses, then it takes away from the original purpose, from the fact that, you know, it just goes back to Walt's vision and it is practical. And it is, you know, all these other things that we've talked about today, the second you try to make it appeal to, you know, 10 year old boys, then it's just another attraction.
1: One other thing that just kind of sparked when talking about the train being closed for so long in Magic Kingdom whenever they did the new orleans square expansion and they had to reroute the train to make a bigger track because new orleans square took up took up some of the land that the train was currently running through walt saw how important it was to keep those engineers and conductors and people who knew the trains and loved the trains just as much as he did you know he was encouraged from a business standpoint we'll just lay them off and we'll just hire new people when the train is ready to reopen. And he refused to do that. He, he paid them to just stand at all the stations and to talk to people about trains.
0: That is so wholesome, honestly.
1: And they did. Disneyland did that again when they did galaxy's edge construction. And so it's just, it's almost sad. like, where are the Magic Kingdom train? I don't,
0: stop. I can't think about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know. Is that bad? I don't want to know.
1: I'm just saying, next time you ride a Disney train, just appreciate it. Because I really do think, and I've said this before, I think it's about, besides walking into his apartment, I think it's about as close as you can possibly get to what Walt actually wanted.
0: So on that note, I don't think I can add anything. You're going to have to let us know what you think. Do you agree with Brendan? Is this the best attraction? Is this going to give you the best connection to wall? Let us know. I'm interested in what you guys think, but on that same note, if you want to experience a train, whether it's at Disneyland or Walt Disney world, um, maybe one of the international parks, If you decide to go out there, definitely contact our friend Hannah little with little bit of Disney. She will help you plan that vacation, price it out, give you a good deal. And she'll just be fun to work with. So you can find that link in our show notes.
1: And then also in our show notes is the link over to listen to our episode number 150 with monoreal radio, talking about Tarzan. Definitely check that out and let us know your thoughts about Tarzan. We had some hot takes. I feel like
0: just a few. I mean, the only hot take would be if you absolutely did not like Tarzan, you would be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's an excellent movie.
1: Is that a hot take?
0: Uh, I hope not.
1: Oh, okay. So, uh, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us in other ways, we are on YouTube, have some vlogs up. Would love for you to check those out. Episode number 300 will be on Monday. We'll be honest, we have no idea what we're doing for 300. I
0: feel like we're overthinking it. We want to do something fun or different. We just haven't quite uh, nailed down what that's going to be. So if you want to know, I guess you have to listen on Monday.
1: Yep. So I'd love to have you join us for that. And as always, if you're looking for a way to help out the show, leaving an iTunes review is absolutely the best way to help the show grow and reach new listeners. Just tell us what you like about it. Leave us five stars, and we are so, so appreciative. We've gotten a lot of really, really nice ones recently. I will say every time we get one, we sit down on the couch, we read it together, we both kind of like put our hand over our heart (laughs) because they're so tender. Because it's,
0: I mean, it's just unbelievable to take the time um, to say such nice things or just to take the time to even go through the process of clicking the five stars, you know, taking that time out of your day. It like genuinely means a lot to us. Yep.
1: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for hanging on and listening to this episode number 299 storytelling on the Disneyland railroad. And we will chat with you on Monday.
0: Thank you for listening to Detour in Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show.
1: Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit detourtoneverland.com.
0: We appreciate you letting us be part of your day.
1: See you real soon.